Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, this morning I talked uh, for a little bit, and I want to kind of recap what I, what I spoke about this morning. And then take it a little bit further. We talked about the fact that we are a, a church that believes in faith, in the power of God, in God's delivering, supernatural delivering power. We're a church that believe that God hears and answers prayer. And not in the sense that a lot of traditional people think. You know, you've heard me say this. Some of you didn't come up in this background that I came up in. But we used to have a little uh, unbelieving saying, unscriptural, unbelieving saying when I was growing up. And it said and went like this. God always answers prayer. Sometimes he yes says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait a while. There's a whole lot of waiting. <laughs> That's not scriptural. God answers prayers that are prayed according to his word. And he will do what he said he will do in his word. We have his word for it. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, whatever we ask. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. That's the Bible. And so that's what we believe around here. Uh, In in talking about faith and and healing uh, and faith for healing, I talked about four mistakes that people often make uh, when it comes to their uh, healing, when it comes to believing God. First of all, they make the mistake sometimes of denial, not even wanting to acknowledge that they have a problem, or if they have it, they just ignore it. Ignoring a problem is not faith. Jesus said, whoever shall say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. He first of all had to identify that there was a mountain He had to identify that the mountain was in his way. He had to deal with the mountain. So so, uh, faith is not denying reality. Faith is not denying the things that exist. We had about six people said amen, two more nodded. I said faith is not denying the things that exist. In Romans chapter 4, speaking of Abraham, it said Abraham was like God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which be not things that do not exist as though they did exist. Not flipped around. It doesn't say God uh, calls those things which do exist as though they don't. No, he calls the things that do not exist as though though they do. While we look not, it says in 2 Corinthians, to the things which are seen, but to the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. That means they're real. That means they're here. Physical realities, physical sickness, uh, tests, trials, uh, all of the things that the enemy tries to bring uh, into our lives to trip us up that are contrary to the word of God, they are real. But faith looks beyond that and looks at the things which are not seen, but it doesn't deny the seen realm. So denial never works. 
Uh, we talked about, secondly, misplaced faith, and that is believing in, a lot of times, people believe in other people's experiences. Someone gets up and testifies, well, you know, I had this situation, I had this illness, and uh, and I just believed God and went back, you know, to the doctor, and it was all gone, and I thanked God all along the way, and God just supernaturally delivered me, and I didn't, didn't do anything but trust God, didn't do anything but trust God. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, I've been healed both ways. I've been healed by, by following that track and doing nothing in the natural. I've also been healed listening to my body and doing things that were necessary to cooperate. Did you know, I know you know this, that God has designed the human body to heal itself. And so there is a natural healing process that we need to cooperate with a lot of times. In doing so, we're cooperating with God's laws. And to not cooperate is to not cooperate with God's laws. And so, uh, again, you can't base your faith on what somebody else did because you don't know their level of faith and you don't know what they, uh, what the Lord instructed them. And uh, a lot of times when people testify, you know, they give the highlights. Somebody will give me their testimony privately and I'll say, why don't you give your testimony to the church? They come up and they give a shaken down, abbreviated version. And I'm thinking, why didn't you tell this? Why didn't you tell that? Why didn't you tell the other thing you told me? So, uh, you know, people often testify, but you don't get the whole story. Amen. Uh, the third thing was I've already alluded to not understanding and recognizing that there are different levels of faith. There is great faith and there is weak faith, strong faith and weak faith. Well, let me ask you a question. Would strong faith be more effective than weak faith? Let me ask you this way. Would weak faith be less effective than strong faith? Could you do less with weak faith than you could do with more with great faith? Yes. There's weak faith, there's strong faith, there's little faith, there's great faith. Little faith can accomplish, will accomplish smaller things than great faith. Great faith will accomplish things and enable you to, to uh, gain the victory over greater things because greater is greater and less is less. Amen. Uh, the Bible talks about growing faith. Thank God our faith can grow and it should be growing. And the way it grows is by uh, putting our faith on things that, that come our way that are within the scope of our faith. And you have to be able to discern where, where you are in faith. One way you can discern is if you can't, uh, if you're not successful believing God for the ordinary things of life, then you might not be ready for the extraordinary things of life. Amen. And then uh, the fourth one was not considering the seriousness of the sickness. Some sicknesses, some illnesses are more threatening than others. And you have to, you have to plan what you're going to believe and how you're going to approach it based on that. Now, that's not to say that God is less able to take care of serious things. It's not a matter of what God's able to do. It's a matter of what we're able to lay hold of with our faith. Jesus said repeatedly to people, according to your faith, be it unto you. Amen. So we talked about the fact that some things are life-threatening and some things are not life-threatening. And when it comes to things that are not life-threatening, you can, you can take more time. Because you should realize, <clears throat> I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but one of the points I'm going to make is that faith, uh, healing from God is spiritual, first of all. 
It's received in the spirit. It's transacted in the spirit. It's a spiritual uh, transaction, a spiritual work. And sometimes time, uh, it takes time for these things to, to fully develop. Is that foreign to some people? Sounds like it might be. It takes time sometimes for healings to manifest. Jesus, remember when he, when he ministered to the nobleman's servant and, and he went his way? And the Bible said that they, in, they inquired at what time his servant began to amend. And that word in the original Greek literally is to begin, to start the process. At what time did the process begin to occur? Well, that indicates that, that the healing began and then it concluded at a time. So many times there's a time frame involved where, where healing is concerned. That's not a lack of faith and it's not denying the power of God. Yes, there are miracles that take place instantly. There are things that can happen instantly when you believe God. I've had that happen. But more times than not, to be honest with you, more times than not, would you like your pastor to be honest with you? Isn't that a, is that a good premise? Yes. More times than not, most things that I ask God for, he answers me immediately with his word. And I know that I have it, but it takes a time some time for it to come into full manifestation. We also need to know, and I'm getting, this is another point that I'll maybe skip later, but uh, it's uh, that faith also often involves a battle. There's a standing where you have to stand and fight in faith for what you believe. And so when you know that, uh, when you approach something that is not th- life-threatening, you have more time. And it's less serious if you, if you for some reason don't fully lay hold of something, it has, that's less consequential if you're facing something that's life threatening and your faith isn't up to that level and you go for it and, 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 and without seeking any other medical aid, you just trust God, you can die doing that. That is not unbelief for me to say that. That's absolutely the truth. You can die if your faith isn't up to certain things. Amen. And then the the uh, the fifth thing was not seeking God's wisdom, which this is we've, that's kind of uh, assumed in all of the things that I've said. You need to seek God and find out what He would have you to do. I've prayed before and asked God if I could go a particular route and just trust Him alone. With I've asked Him, can I? I would prefer to just trust You alone. And I've had the Spirit of God definitely tell me, "Don't do that." Go and get treatment and trust me as you go. Well, what if I was just uh, hard-headed and just said, well, no, I'm just going to believe God. I read this morning the story of uh, in Dr. Mast, William Mast. He wrote a wonderful book entitled Faith in Medicine. And uh, uh, evidently it's out of print right now. But Dr. Mast was an ENT uh, specialist, doctor and surgeon. And he talked about a woman that came into his office who was at the final stage, stage four terminal condition with cancer that had begun with just a small cancer that by her own admission, her husband's admission could have been treated successfully, very easily taken care of. And she would have gone her way and been fine a year and a half earlier, but she waited until it was too late. And the reason they waited was they were not going to have any treatment whatsoever. They were strictly going to trust God. Well, uh, Dr. Mast, you know, didn't follow the case after they left uh, his office, but I think we can all assume that it didn't turn out very well because they were not in faith. They They were in hope 
and in presumption and in denial, but they weren't in faith. There's a big difference. Amen. And we talked about the fact that we're not to feel guilty. He, he told the story of when he was in practice in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, a, a woman came to him, a young female, and had this particular problem, and he examined her and talked to her. And uh, she said, now, doctor, please don't tell my pastor, because you know he was practicing in Tulsa, and he went to one of the spirit-filled churches there in Tulsa. She said, please don't tell my, doctor, my, my pastor about this, because he'll be disappointed, he'll be angry with me that I didn't just get my healing you know, just, just by faith, and I went to the doctor. This doctor in his book, he adds the fact, he said, now because of confidentiality, patient confidentiality, I couldn't tell her this, but, she, but he said her, do, her pastor had come to see him and he had performed surgery on her pastor prior to that. And then he said on other occasions, her pastor had come to him and for prescription for treatment of certain things and he had given him prescriptions. He had treated her pastor. So obviously her pastor didn't believe this, but she felt this way. And so we have to be careful as ministers and as, and as believers not to leave the impression that, that somehow uh, God is displeased. You ever notice in, in Jesus' ministry, all the people he healed, he never once rebuked or even spoke negatively about somebody because they were sick. Not one time did he ever chastise anybody because they were sick. Amen. Glory to God. So uh, Dr. Mast, when he... Uh, he was in uh, private practice and then he put his practice temporarily on hold and just, I think he worked part-time uh, for a couple of years while he went to Rama. He was, a, like I said, a successful surgeon in Tulsa, but he wanted to go to Rama Bible Training Center. And so he, uh, he went part-time, put his practice on part-time for the two years that he was uh, attending Rama. And then when he graduated from Rama, he picked his practice back up again in that, that uh, May of that year. And in the fall of that year, he was invited by the Hagans to join the, uh, the staff as a sort of an adjunct professor, you know, just a temporary instructor. And he taught a missions class on international health. Well, in preparation for that class, he, he decided he would study uh, the Bible to see what the Bible has to say about medicine. So that's what I, I want to talk to you tonight. I got this material from his book. If you can find this, if you can go online and find it, I recommend that you do. It's a great book. Uh, first of all, he makes this point. He said one-fourth of all medicines used in the United States today can't come from or originally came from plant sources. Now, some of these have been synthesized, and so they're, they're synthetics today. But originally, they came from plant sources. He said right now, at the time of the writing of this book, over 3,000 plants were in use in America at the time he wrote this book in the 1990s uh, for, the, for the making of medicines. Well, we know if you go to Genesis chapter 1, turn with me to Genesis 1 and look at the 12th verse. Verse 12 says, And the earth brought forth grass and the herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in it Self according to its sign, its kind, and God saw that it was good. So all of the plants that God put in the earth, do you think it's do you think it's a surprise to God that some of them can we can make medicines out of them? Not at all. Do you think maybe He put them there for that purpose? 
In his wisdom, certainly he did. So uh, 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 the Bible says that all that God has created in, in, the, in the natural kingdom is good and we ought to use it. And that would mean those, those plants from which medicines are derived. Well, if the plants are good, the medicine's good. I, I mentioned this morning the fact that as Christians and, and as word of faith people, we know that it's God's will to heal. It's always God's will to heal. There's never a question. It's never not God's will to heal. It's always God's will to heal. He has made healing available to everybody. Uh, now, not everybody's faith is on, the le- on a level that they can just lay hold of it right now. But if they'll build their faith, it will grow. Well, if it's God's will to heal us, then it would be God's will for doctors to heal. Otherwise, doctors are fighting against the will of God. And it's funny that people in, in churches that, that profess that they don't believe that it's always God's will to heal them. And they'll often say, well, I just believe God's put this on me. He's allowed this to come on me, you know, because he wants to teach me something that's not his will to heal me. I, I've noticed that those people invariably, invariably will go to the doctor about that very thing. So they go to the doctor to get themselves out of the will of God, allegedly. That's the right, that's, if you think about it logically, it doesn't make any sense. No, if it's God's will to heal us, then it would be God's will for us to be healed any way that we can receive healing. That's, that's, I'm not talking about occult practices and those things that are contrary to the word. But, but, uh, what God has placed in the earth to make medicines out of, that would be the will of God. Also, treatment would be in the will of God. And we'll see this. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 17. We'll see that in just a moment. But first go to Proverbs 17 and, and let's look at this verse. Proverbs 17. Verse number 22, Proverbs seventeen twenty-two. a merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Let's look at the first part of this sentence. A merry heart does good like a medicine. This is, this is, he is saying that, that. Just like a merry heart does good, medicine does good. Is a merry heart good? Is medicine good? Both of them are presented as, as good because they both do the same thing. They both make us better. A merry heart, he says, does good like what does a medicine do? A medicine makes you better. Well, a merry heart makes you better. A merry heart will, will, will actually cause you to be better off physically. It'll actually bring healing and, and strength and refreshment into your body. A merry heart will affect you physically and cause you to be in better health. Like, like, like a medicine. So the emphasis is on the merry heart, but let's not forget the fact that he pointed out that a medicine's good. Amen. Amen. So medicine is good according to this. Go with me to Second Kings, Second Kings, Second Kings. I, I tried. I stopped for a moment to see what it was I was trying to say, and I can't figure out what that was. Second Kings chapter twenty. Second Kings chapter twenty. I think maybe I was trying to say Second Corinthians. Second Kings chapter twenty. Praise the Lord. And of course, this is the story of Hezekiah. Uh, now, before we get into this, Hezekiah was a good king. I said Hezekiah was a good king. 
Uh, he was remembered as a, as a king that led Israel away from idolatry and back into the, into following God's plan. Everything that said about Hezekiah was good. Hezekiah was a good king. And it says that in verse number one, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near to death. Now notice this. Uh, let me get, let me go back and find a passage. Glory to God. It's not marked in my Bible. Uh, Bear with me just a moment. Well, in the 18th chapter, it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Abai and, his, and the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars. That was the, the uh, 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 idol worship. Cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it by some name. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him, there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he felt, held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him and prospered him wherever he went. Can you, can you agree with me that Hezekiah was a good king? He was a man that honored God and God honored him. He honored him by these words. So we know that God thought a lot of, of, of Hezekiah and that he was favored in God's eyes. But notice in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. Just because somebody is sick doesn't mean that they've disobeyed God. Doesn't mean that they're in some way in violation of the laws of God or anything like this. Here was a man that in his generation, according to the, the, the word he had, he walked upright before God. He was a reformer in Israel. He brought Israel back from idol worship, had the commentation of God, had the favor of God, yet he found himself near death. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. Now that sounds like a terrible thing for a prophet to do, but he was allowing him time. He was giving him uh, some news of what was going to happen according to the conditions as they were so that he could set his house in order. Set your house in order for you shall die and not live. Then he, Hezekiah, turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord saying, remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. Notice the healing wasn't immediate. He said, on the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah's attendants, take a lump of figs. 
So they took it and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. That is, Hezekiah recovered. Go over to Isaiah 38, and hold your place where you were in 2 Kings. Go to Isaiah 38 for uh, Isaiah's story here of how it's told in his writings. In the first verses, it tells the same story, the first verses of this chapter, but drop down to verse 21. Now, Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and apply it as a poultice on the boil and he should recover and he shall recover. So here is, a, here is an account of the prophet of God prescribing a medical procedure, a medical remedy to this man. Now, they didn't have the modern advances in science that we had, but this was a medical treatment because uh, many times these poultices were made by uh, putting uh, different things together. In this case, it was, it was probably uh, figs, probably something else added to it and would place it on, on a boil like this and it would pull the poison out of that boil. Now, if you think that's really kind of... Uh, archaic and, and there's no medical value in that whatsoever, you're wrong. When I, now, as recently as my own life, now, now you younger people might think, well, that's a long time ago. You know, when, you, when I was a kid in the late 50s, that was 60 years ago. But when you compare, this was hunt thousands of years ago. This was before the New Testament time. This was, this was several thousand years ago. So in recent times, in my own life, I was plagued when I was a little boy with, with recurrent boils, and I would have them on my legs usually. And they would get very large and just inflamed and very painful. I could hardly walk, and it was, it was a torment. And I don't know why I had them. I don't know what, what happened, why I eventually got over them. But I remember the doctor in my day prescribing a concoction that, that he formulated that we went to the pharmacy and had a pharmacy make up this paste. It wasn't something off the shelf. It was a poultice made up of certain chemicals and they, and, and, and my mother would smear this on the boil and it did exactly what I'm describing. It would pull the poison of that boil out and, and, and cause it to sort of come to a head so that I could get over it. My mom would mash it and it would explode and, and I'd be over it. And it, it was very painful. But the point is, that was a legitimate medical practice. So here we have the prophet of God prescribing a medical procedure for Hezekiah, king of Israel, king of Judah. Amen? Praise the Lord. Uh, I remember a, a statement that uh, Pastor Ken Hagen Jr. said for many years and still says. He said, the natural and the supernatural coming together make an explosive force for God. Very often, God will bring together the natural and the supernatural. Go with me over to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11. <clears throat> Excuse me, Luke 10. I say it 11, it's Luke 10. Go to verse 25. Verse 25 begins by saying, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, that is, tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is the reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
And, uh, and so this uh, lawyer spoke to Jesus and said, you, uh, or Jesus said to him, rather, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. So wanting to justify himself, this, the, the uh, uh, scribe said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus answered and said to him, and we know this story, we call it the Good Samaritan. No, he's, notice he's not the evil Samaritan, he's the Good Samaritan. A certain man, Jesus said a certain man, so this isn't just a parable, this actually happened to a certain man. A certain man that Jesus knew about went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said to him, to Jesus, the one who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So Jesus was teaching about uh, that your friend is, is someone that you find in need. And that we are to be compassionate and merciful to people. Now, Jesus didn't call this merciful, but the, but the, but the, uh, uh, the, the Levite here, the scribe, he said this was merciful. Jesus said that he had compassion. This man, the Samaritan, had compassion. So Jesus described a compassionate and merciful act, and it was three medical treatments that were applied to this man who was injured. Taking in reverse, first of him, the first medical uh, treatment that Jesus commended was pouring wine into the wound. Now, wine would have had fermented wine. Fermented wine would have had an alcoholic content. So this was used, first of all, as an antiseptic. So Jesus said that was a compassionate thing to do. He poured in an antiseptic to kill the bacteria. Then secondly, he poured on wine. Or excuse me, oil on the on the wound. Now the uh, the oil had the had the uh, 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 purpose of coating the wound, which kept anything else from getting into the wound. It protected it, and it also kept it moist while it was healing. Today, almost all ointments that come from the doctor, almost all of them are oil based, and they have exactly the same properties. Now, sometimes they have an antibiotic added to them. But the base is, is an ointment and it's oil-based and it's provided to cover the wound, to protect the wound, and to keep it moist while it's healing. That is a medical procedure. And then third, he bandaged his wound, which is always also a medical procedure. So Jesus commended three medical procedures, three applications of medical science to, and, 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 and said that it was compassionate and merciful. Can you see that? Amen. Let's go to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. We've already had one, two, three, four. We're about to give the fifth one. 1 Timothy chapter 5. The fifth what? The fifth evidence that God is in favor of medicine when rightly applied. 
in 1 Timothy chapter 5, look at verse number... Let's see where I want to start. He's, Tim, uh, Paul is, is instructing Timothy about things concerning the ministry, but then he takes a personal note in verse number 23. He told Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Now, Paul prescribed a medical treatment here to Timothy. Now, again, uh, in, in their day, they didn't have all of the advances that we have in medical science, but Timothy uh, either had some bacteria in his system, and we're guessing, we don't know, uh, because the water at that time was not very good. So maybe the wine was to kill the, the, uh, the alcohol and the wine was to kill the, the bacteria in his system. Or he might have just had a sour stomach. But, but notice, what, notice what Paul didn't say to Timothy. Listen real carefully. I'm not saying what you think I'm not saying. <laughs> what you think I'm saying. Notice that Paul didn't say, get your scripture sheets out, Timothy. Timothy had a frequent stomach illness. Timothy. Not Fred, Timothy. One of the leaders of the New Testament church. An apostle in his own right. A man who traveled closely with the apostle Paul. Paul called Tim, called, referred to and, and thought of Timothy as his son in the faith. They were very, very close. Timothy had lived in close contact with Paul. He had seen all the miracles that Paul had done. He, he understood. There's no question that Timothy understood faith. Notice Paul didn't say, Timothy, get your healing scriptures out and, and set aside some time every morning. Get up and start believing and confessing. Or I'm not saying that's wrong. That's what I, that you might think I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. But notice that Paul told Timothy, the very first thing he told him was to, to apply a medical remedy to his situation. It's the first thing he told him. Paul! I, I have in my ministry and in my life, there have been times that people have come to me and not necessarily in a counseling situation, but just talking to someone and they've told me about a particular, particular ailment. And, and I have, before I said anything else, I've said, you need to do this. You know, you need to, to go to the doctor. You need to do this. You need to do that. Apply some type of medicine to it. And I've had people sometimes look at me, maybe somebody standing by. And I kind of picked up, I might, I might have been reading something into it, but I kind of discerned that people thought, well, now, you know, why didn't you lay hands on them? Why didn't you tell them to get in? Why, why did you immediately tell them to go to the doctor? Why did you, why did, the, the sense that I got was people thought that I had dropped down to a, to below my office and below my uh, stature as a minister of the gospel and, and immediately, first and foremost, told someone to seek medical aid rather than going to God. Well, first of all, I knew that person had already gone to God. I knew that they were already, they'd already played, prayed about it, but I knew that, that their faith wasn't laying hold of it. Notice that Paul, the great apostle, did not, this is amazing, he did not tell Timothy to go to the Word. One person said amen, I think. He didn't, did he? This was a frequent situation. 
This was a recurrent situation. Maybe Paul knew that Timothy had already applied his faith to it, but it kept coming back. It was a frequent infirmity, and Paul said, you need to take some medicine. Now, Dr. Mast, in his book, he said, if this, if this was, if Paul and, and Timothy were living in our day, he'd have probably told him, take some Malox. Take an, take an antacid. Take, he'd have probably told him something like, they didn't have those things then. But the point is, Paul told Timothy, first and foremost, in his situation, because he knew Timothy, no doubt, had already sought the Lord. He had already applied his faith, but something wasn't working. So he said, you know what? You need medical attention. You need to take this medicine. So that we have five accounts here of the Bible endorsing medical remedies. Uh, and it's not unscriptural. And, and it's not a lack of faith. It occurs to me, I never really thought about this until I was kind of reading this for this situation. I'm thinking to myself, how did Paul know this? How did Paul know about this? Maybe Paul had used it himself. I don't know that. You don't know it's not true. We, we sometimes say, now we know that Jesus was never sick. But oftentimes we say, well, the apostle Paul lived without sickness and disease. We don't really know that. I'm not trying to, to I'm not trying to, 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 to give you a cause to doubt or instill unbelief. I'm just saying we don't know this. We have all the great stories in the New Testaments of all of the things that Paul preached and the conquests that he had and the deliverances that came through him and the miracles and all that. But that doesn't mean there's more, that we know there's more to his life than what's written here. You couldn't tell your life and in, 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 in have it read in 45 minutes, right? No, it, it, we don't know. But I'm saying Paul knew something about natural remedy because he knew what to tell Timothy. You can, you can decide for yourself what that might mean. It could mean that Paul had used this before himself. Maybe not. Believe what you want to. Praise the Lord. You're free to believe what you want to. <laughs> Glory to God. Now, when you put faith and medicine together, there are some guidelines that we need to follow. And the first thing is to seek God first. Before you do anything else, seek God. You know, in Proverbs 3 is, is, a, is a passage that, that Pastor Greg loves to read when it comes to tithes and offerings. You know, do not uh, uh, look to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That's true in every area of life. When you're confronted with any situation, in all your ways, acknowledge God. Always go to God first. Now, we have the story of the Old Testament of a man who failed to do that. Go with me to Second Chronicles chapter 16. Second Chronicles chapter 16, we have the story of, of the king Asa. Now, Asa started out good, but he didn't end up following the Lord. Second Chronicles 16, verse number one, in the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and, and, and built uh, Ramah uh, that he might let none go out or go in to King Asa of Jerusalem. So this is something that, this talks about uh, Asa when he was young in ministry or had been in the ministry for, or, or king rather, for several years. Uh, actually, go back to the fifth chapter, 15th chapter. Go back to chapter 15. This, this would help us. Second Chronicles 15. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, hear me, Asa. Now this is really interesting. 
Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and, and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, the prophet said this as the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And there's an indication in here that in the, in the latter part of Asa's life, he might depart from the Lord. Because he said, the Lord is with you as long as you're with him. If you'll stick with him, he'll bless you. But if you forsake him, he'll forsake you. So you're going over to the, in the 16th chapter, reading in the 36th year of his reign. And uh, it says that uh, in the 36th year of his reign, Asa brought silver and gold. This is 16.2. From the treasuries of the house of the Lord, of the king's house, and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I have taken you silver and gold, silver and gold that came out of the house of God. Silver and gold, come, break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will uh, withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa, sent the captain of of his armies to the city, against the city of Israel. They attacked these cities. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ram and ceased his work. Then King Asa took all Judah and they carried them away, carried away the stones and the timber of Ramah, and Basha had used that, which Basha had used for building, and with him built Geba and Mizah. So uh, at that time, verse 7, Hananiah, Hananiah, the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the army or the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped your hand. Notice that Asa was beginning to slip away in his reliance on God. That's what the prophet warned him of earlier in his, in his reign. Because you relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God. Now if you go on a little bit further in verse 11, now all the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign. So this this slipping away, this turning away, started in the 36th year of his reign. Three years later, he's not gotten any better. He did not heed the voice of the prophet in 16, verse 7. So uh, uh, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. And his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but he sought the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers and died. He died in the 41st year of his reign. So he became diseased in some way in his, in his feet. He evidently had some type of, of an infection in his feet. And it became very serious. But instead of seeking the Lord, he sought uh, natural remedy. There was nothing wrong with natural remedy. It was that he didn't seek the Lord first. So we should always seek the Lord first. Sometimes the Lord will direct us to a natural remedy. He's done that for me. He's done that for me. But other times I've had the witness in my spirit, just lay hold of the word of God and this, you have it. If, if it's a life-threatening situation, you need, to, you need to go to the Lord and ask Him what, you, what He wants you to do. And if you quickened in your spirit to lay hold of it in faith, do it. But if that's the case, you will know on the inside of you that you have it. But if you're struggling to believe it, you're just confessing it and quoting scriptures, walking back and forth, trying to convince yourself that you have it, you're not in faith. 
And I've had the Lord in situations like that said, no, go ahead and get treatment. I remember, I don't know, five or six years ago, maybe six years ago, I was at my old house with the pool and, uh, and I was cleaning the pool one day and I had the long, you know, uh, telescoping pole with the vacuum on the end of it, it connect, you know, connected to the, to the vac and I'm vacuuming the leaves on the bottom of the pool. And, and, the, and this particular pole was not plastic, it was an aluminum pole. And when I went forward like this, it's, I was going down, sort of down toward the deep end. Well, the pole slipped out of my hand and went underwater. And the end of it was heavy, and it was just taking it right on down to the deep end. And, you know, I didn't really want to get wet. I wasn't swimming that day. I was, you know, just cleaning the pool. Well, I didn't want to go swimming in the deep end. So I jumped in real fast to reach down and grab it because it was in the shallow end. You know, I'd get a little wet, but it wouldn't be like I'd go underwater. And when I jumped in, I jumped in flat-footed and broke my heel. It hurt so bad. I hit flat on that, on the concrete bottom of the pool. And I got up and I thought, I got the, I got the thing out of the, out of the pool. <laughs> got the, got the, the pole up, you know, got the thing out of the pool. I'm not finished vacuuming and I'm, oh my heel, what did I just do? Well, I went to the doctor and, uh, because I, I hobbled around on it a couple of days and, and it wasn't getting any better. So I went to the doctor and I have the x-rays today and it shows there's a little bone on the bottom of your heel. I think that's what the Achilles tendon might be connected to. There's a little bone, bony thing on the bottom of your heel. And, uh, uh, that little bony piece on, in my anatomy, the, the bone on my foot has a little tip on it. Well, that tip was broken. You could see it clearly on the, it wasn't just a, like a fracture, it was, it was separated and it hurt. And so, you know, I, that's not life threatening. I can afford to be in some pain if I want to be. If I want to trust God, whether I'm in faith or not, that's my decision because it's not going to kill me one way or the other. But I decided, you know what, God, I, I said to myself, or said to the Lord, you know, this would heal naturally over a, a couple of weeks, you know, it'll get better and the bone will heal and it won't be as sore anymore. And I said, but you know, you wouldn't get any glory out of that. I want to be healed right now. I'm asking you to heal me of this right now. And I believed I received it. Well, that, that, that happened one, the second morning, or the third morning when I got up. I was hobbling around. I decided to come into the office. I put on my shop, my socks and my shoes and I walked to the office and I made up my mind, I am not going to hobble. I don't care how bad it hurts, I'm going to grit my teeth and walk normal on that hill as if nothing is wrong. And I could not do it. I couldn't do it. I did, I mean, I did it like my life depended on it. And I put my weight on it. I was not walking normal, but I was determined. I am not going to walk like this. And I couldn't help it. It was so painful. I said, I'm healed in Jesus' name. Came into the office, went to my, went to my office, went to my desk, doing some things. And sometime that day, I don't even remember what time it was, like mid-afternoon, <clears throat> I was walking around in my office doing something, and it occurred to me, wait a minute. I don't have any pain in my heel whatsoever. And I did my heel like that. It's no pain. It completely went away. I didn't have it re-x-rayed, but I never had another moment of pain whatsoever. God supernaturally healed me. Well, see, it's okay for me to, to, to make a stand like that because, first of all, I knew my faith was on it. I knew I could lay hold of it. And even if I failed, I'm not going to lose my life over it. It's just a broken foot. 
And not even my whole foot, just a small part of my foot. So you have to, you have to weigh these things out. But I sought God first on it. I said, God, I, I, I want your best for my, for, my, for my life. And I had the witness in the spirit that would be okay to, to go ahead and trust him for this. But like I said, I've sought God before and said, Lord, I don't want this kind of treatment that's offered to me. And I've had the spirit of God definitely witness to me, you need to get the treatment. Because, you know, I, that was, you know, my biggest threat to my life was 20, 26 years ago. I'm still here. I got treatment, but I'm still here. Look at what I would have missed out on. Amen. The ministry that wouldn't have uh, occurred if I had been hard-headed. A lot of people are hard-headed. So seek God first. Now, there are some benefits, some major benefits of, of, of medical treatment. We've already read in Genesis 1 that God blessed uh, the, the natural uh, uh, plants and things. He created them and said they're good. Medicine, as you know, can lessen the distraction of pain. While you can, so you can concentrate on using your faith. Because even if you're taking medication, you still have to stay in faith. That's not an excuse to, to back off from your faith. You still need to use your faith, but taking the medication can help you. This doctor talked about the fact that he went into surgery one time and he had uh, such a, a difficulty in his physical body. He was in so much uh, pain, he, he couldn't perform the surgery. So he took an ox, uh, something like that. I didn't think you could do surgery with taking that. But he took it and he said, maybe he took a small dose of it. And he said, I was glad I was able to get through the surgery without pa- any pain. I didn't give you, he's dead now, so nobody can prosecute him, okay? But he took an oxycodone so that he could get through the surgery. He said, what it did is it helped relax me so that I could concentrate on what I was doing and concentrate on my faith. I know Michelle's having a fit over there. (laughs) What? It relaxed him, all right. He may be like me. He may be drug tolerant, uh, you know, because I can take those things and they do very little for me. Uh, they can relieve the pain, but I don't feel woozy or anything like that. Anyway, praise the Lord. It wasn't a very good example, was it? <laughs> now, now he, he made this interesting statement. Listen to me. I'm, I'm going to kind of get ahead of myself because we're running out of time. He, he talked about the importance of families being in faith when their loved ones or their friends are in surgery. He's talked, he talked about times that he performed surgery on somebody and nothing was working. He talked about in particular one instance where he was performing surgery on somebody and he couldn't control the bleeding. The ble- he just couldn't stop the, the person from the patient from bleeding. And he struggled and he struggled and he struggled and he finally got things wrapped up. He said it was a very difficult surgery. Uh, I'm kind of, uh, 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 you know, going on a little bit about it, but... Uh, uh, he said, I finally finished the surgery. I went into the waiting room. He said the family in there was, were filled with fear that something would happen in the surgery. He said, you don't realize what an impact that has on your surgery. He said, whether they're a saved surgeon or unsaved surgeon, faith gives God an opportunity to work. Fear gives the devil an opportunity to work. He said he goes into those waiting rooms and the, and the family is falling apart. They just know something bad's going to happen. Well, he, the, the surgeon, even though he was a spirit-filled surgeon, he struggled in times like that. He said he went into other surgeries 
And he would go in and he said, everything just went just supernaturally fast. Everything was easy. Finished the surgery in much shorter time than, than, than it ever, you know, happens. He goes out in the waiting room and he said it was the, it was a family of word of faith people, people believe in healing. And they were just sitting around in the room, just, you know, talking to one another, visiting. They weren't upset. They were just kind of low. You're back already. Kind of lost track of time. He said, it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. Where, where's Connie? Remember Connie? Connie will remember. She remembers when her son, uh, uh, David, when he, he had a terrible automobile accident. He was single at the time. Terrible, devastating automobile, ac- automobile accident. His whole abdomen and pelvic area was just, was just virtually destroyed. I mean, just ripped everything up. And so she called me and, and uh, I went down to the, to the hospital to, to spend time with her. And when I got there, it was, it was after midnight, I think, or it was late, you know. And this had happened several, it took several hours before there, for them to even find her and notify her. So we get there, he was in surgery, and uh, the doctor came out, and he said, I have to be honest with you, he said, this is a very, this is a very severe case. I learned a long time ago, and I've, t- I've told you this before, but if a doctor is working on somebody to save their life, and they're trying to save their life, they're going to stay in there. They're not going to stop in the middle of trying to save somebody's life if they think they can actually do it. They're not going to stop. He came out. He wasn't bloody. He didn't come out in in scrubs. He came out in a dress pant, dress shirt, and tie, and all clean. So he, he had left the surgery suite, cleaned himself up to come out. I know I've been along, around long enough to know that's not a good sign. Because he's basically given up. He's coming out just to sort of break the news to you slowly. Instead of just coming out and saying your loved one's dead, he'll come out and say, well, we're, we're working, but it doesn't look good. Well, Connie and I, we were just thanking God. We had our hands in the air. We didn't care. There was nobody in there, but we wouldn't have cared. We just had our hands in the air. We were laughing, thanking God. We were claiming he's living. The doctor's going to get this done. He's going to live. He's not going to die. We're just thanking God. So when the doctor came out, we said, doctor, we appreciate what you're, what you're having to say, but you go back in there. We're believing God for a miracle. Well, this doctor happened to be a Christian. I don't know if he was word of faith, but he was a Christian. He said, I'll go back in there and I'll work, but I'm just letting you know this does not look good. So he went in, an hour or so, I don't remember, Connie can, can tell me it was a while. He come back out, he's dressed up nice again. Did he do that three times or two times? Just twice. He comes back the second time, he's all cleaned up. And he said, I, I just have to tell you, it does not look good. We're losing him. He said, we're doing all we can. And we said, doctor, you go back in there and you work on him because we're believing God for a miracle. He said, well, it'll take a miracle. And in fact, he said, he said, this was, it was getting into the, you know, it'd been several hours. He said, if, if this, if this patient is alive at daylight, he said, it'll be a miracle. We said, that's exactly what we're believing God for. You go back in there. And during all of this, Connie wasn't falling apart. She was not falling apart. We were standing just sitting and walking, just thanking God, rejoicing. We were standing in faith. And this was, this was a, a, her son should have died that night. The doctor said he is bleeding so much from his internal organs that we can't even figure out where the blood's coming from. He said his spleen is, is, is shredded and this is torn up and that. So we don't even know what all's going on in there. There's so much blood. He lived and, and he's married and has how many children today? Just one child. He's, look, all of the, how many years later? 
18 years later, it's got a full life because it pays for the people in the, in the, in the waiting room. It pays for the family to stay in faith. Do not give up in a situation like that. Amen. Praise the Lord. And this doctor testified to that. Hallelujah. He said this too. This is good. He said, uh, when you take medication, sanctify it. You know, the Bible says that we should receive the food that we eat and that we should be thankful. And, and we said, because it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. When we pray over our food, we sanctify it. We set it apart. Well, why couldn't we do that over medication? And this doctor, he, he said, this is what you should do. He said, when you take your medication, make sure you pray over it. He said he was taking medication one time. The way he learned that, he was taking medication. He wasn't getting any better. She went to the Lord and he said, now, Lord, why am I not getting any better? And the Lord said, because you're not considering the cross when you take the medication. So he went back and he started studying. Well, on the cross, Jesus bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. So he started He started sanctifying that medication with his faith in the word. He started confessing the word over that medication that it's going to produce. And by his stripes, we're healed. And he recovered quickly from it. So it's important that we stay in faith, but it's important that we know where we are. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, Look to your spirit to determine if you're in faith and if the healing has already begun. You know, the Bible says that if a person is in faith, they're in rest. Hebrews chapter 4, won't look into it, but we have those who have believed do enter into rest, the Bible says. So when you're in faith, you're in rest. That night in the hospital, we were in rest. Connie and I were in total rest. The situation was dire, but we were in rest. Excuse me, we knew that we knew that we knew that we had it, and we weren't taking any, any, any second uh, option. So there's a knowing, Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, uh, you know, I said this morning, I want to I say this. Uh, when I said, uh, uh, told you about how you can call the paramedics and that, you know, if they come out to check you out, it's free. You do understand that you don't call the paramedics for everything. This is emergency services. If you have, if you have COVID, you don't call the paramedics. If you have a cold, if you've broken your leg, you don't call, unless a bone is sticking out, you don't call the paramedics. These are for emergencies. But when I called them, I didn't know if it was emergency or not, but I knew the symptom was a potential serious emergency because the symptom told me that it might be a heart attack and that was serious. I called, uh, actually went down to the paramedics and, and, uh, and then last uh, Christmas morning, we called them out to the house. And like I said, if they come out in an emergency situation and they check you out and, and you don't need to be transported to the hospital, there's no fee. The fee is in the transport. So don't, guys, don't be a bonehead. <laughs> I'm not going to the doctor. All the women in the church need to look at the men around them and say, oh, don't be an idiot. Because it can cost you your life. I said it can cost you your life. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Let's stand up. Glory to God. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Say that again. living dog is better than a dead lion. 
that's somewhat encouraging. <laughs> I get your point. Yeah. 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 It's better to be, it's better to be alive and, and be in what he said, not exactly a lion, little less than a lion, but still be, a, be, be alive. And then you can be a lion later. Amen. Praise the Lord. Good word. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah, there's a, there's a verse over in Proverbs. Uh, I want to say it's in the 18th chapter. Yeah, in the, uh, in the 18th chapter of Proverbs. Now, you won't see this in, in the King James, but it, it might be in some other translations. But in the, in the King James, New King James, it says, He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. The Amplified version of this, and this is how it reads in the Septuagint. This is the Amplified look to the Septuagint here, which is the Greek tra- uh, translation of the Old Testament. And the Amplified renders it this way. He, do, he who does not use his only endeavors, excuse me, he who does not use his own endeavors to heal himself is brother to him who commits suicide. A lot of people have, have done that. A lot of people have brought on their own death because they wouldn't take advantage of things they could do. And so, uh, church, let's not do that. Let's not let these things keep happening. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.